0: Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 65, How Elliot Dubodard Writes. Hello, my friends. I hope everyone is having such a good week of writing. Today's episode is with Elliot DuBodard. This is a fun, really important episode because Elliot is a hugely prolific writer who is also a working full-time is working a full-time job and she is also a parent. So for those of you who are struggling with your writing and your full-time life, this episode is absolutely for you. It is just chocked full of gems. I want to say a special thank you to Elliot one more time. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the episode with Elliot Dubaudard Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Elliot Dubodin. Elliot is a writer of fantasy and science fiction. She has won three three Nebula Awards, a Locus Award, a European Science Fiction Society Award, a British Fantasy Award, and four British Science Fiction Association Awards. That is a little bit of a tongue twister. She is the author of the Dominion of the Fallen series set in a devastated Gothic Paris. Awesome. As well as the Hugo Award-nominated series, The Universe of Zuya. I hope I say that. Zuya, A Vietnamese-inspired space opera with sentient spaceships. Another awesome setup. I love it. Elliot's newest novella is Fireheart Fireheart Tiger, which was published as of this recording today, which is awesome. I'm so happy to like, you know, celebrate it. Amazing. Uh, Elliot resides in Paris, France, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm very glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I have so many directions I want to go with you. So many different topics. Um, But where I want to start out is basically just calling out uh, Paris, France is one of my favorite cities of all time, like right up there with New York City for me. Um, in fact, like my MFA class, we met there twice a year in Paris to do our studies and our residencies. And it's just such a special, special place. So um, for the US listeners, maybe people have visited Paris, or uh, just in general, how are things going in Paris? And just overall, like, like, how, how is that neck of the woods?
1: Well, you know, but like, you know, a lot of the rest of the world, it's a bit, a bit of a weird neck of the wood at, at the moment. We're in what I refer to as the state of quantum uncertainty, which is that every week <laughs> we will listen to our government decide if they want to do a lockdown or not. Uh, and our government, um, so basically we had the first lockdown in the spring of 2020, then the second one in November of 2021, uh, 2020 still, sorry. Uh, and cases are still going a bit up and down. So yeah they are talking about doing a third one but every week so far it's been a it's a dire situation but not that dire so we'll just stick with the curfew so the curfew is that nobody can go out unless it's for work reasons uh after uh, a six and all the shops are closed um you know all the restaurants are closed all the theaters are closed all the places where people congregate are closed uh people are strongly encouraged to work from home if they can uh and and that's pretty much yeah everybody wears masks obviously Um,
0: yeah when I was in Paris it it was such like um like cafe culture you know I mean it was like every night we sat out on these you know beautiful patio tables drinking I mean it was just it just was always just this like amazing I mean the idea of that being so (laughs) shut down even in the winter we were there in January even the winter when it was very cold out we were sit under the heaters and bundle up, you know, and just drink lots of beer to warm us up. And yeah, so, that's,
1: that's kind of not the going atmosphere <laughs> currently, <laughs> what I'm going to say about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a bit, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I guess you get used to it, but it's a little bit weird.
0: Yeah, totally. So um, one of the places I want to start with you as a writer is you are also an engineer, um, and I search and search and search online. I tried to find all sorts of information about that. It, I, I think I saw you studied computer science. Engineering. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Yes.
1: I, yeah. My 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 field of study was computer science, uh, Okay. processing. What was uh, that? And now I'm doing railway signalling, which is uh, essentially how to prevent trains from crashing into one another.
0: Wow. Um, wow. And so, are you right now? Are you currently? working as a computer scientist and writing Moonlighting as a writer. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. So this is great because I I think um, so much of the audience are people in that exact same position. And so I would love to just kind of start there. Um, First thing to talk about, like, how do you balance, you know, a career working full time with actually producing work and getting words onto the page?
1: With great difficulty, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think you you need to add onto on top of that parent of two young children. Yeah, right, um, totally. Which is kind of like a third full time job that you didn't. Yeah. Know you had until you signed up for parents, without which <laughs> when somebody went like, "Did you read the contract?" And you are like, "What contract?" And yeah. They're like, "Too late."
0: Yeah, right. They're here. <laughs> yep,
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, and it don't come with an instruction manual. Yeah. And even if you did, <laughs> it would be obsolete every couple of months. Yeah,
0: yep, right? yep, 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 totally.
1: So, so I think I mean. Um, I try to so I I try to actually try to sneak in the writing whenever I can. So I'll when we were still commuting, I would you know write on transport on my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a sol I could get a solid like six hundred words going back and forth uh, on the metro. Um, wow. So I, you're
0: you're tight ty- you're like typing I'll with type your textbook, thumbs yeah. a yeah. manuscript. Oh my god! Yeah. I love it! I love it.
1: Yeah, I used to take my new Alpha Smart, but the Metro line was too packed. So yeah. you kind of need to be sitting down for that You need a moment. lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. nobody minds if you're standing with a phone. Um, I also write um, I I write a lot in the evenings when the kids are after the kids are in bed. Um, and I've tried as well. Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll write in the evenings and and a little more on the weekends.
0: Yeah. So um, so there's a lot of people who um, listen to the podcast, who, who I talk to, they want to write, they, they want to produce good words, good pages, and they're kind of in a similar situation. And they're like, listen, I've got kids or I've got a spouse, which, you know, can sometimes feel like having kids and um, I have a career and a life and all these things. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, if someone was out there and they're like, how how do you pull it off? What's your secret? Like, what what would you say to them?
1: I don't really know. <laughs> I mean I'm not aware of having a secret, right? Uh yeah. I think I mean the main thing that's helped me is um so kind of so a very wise friend told me once uh, so it's it's kind of juggling a lot of balls. Uh, I, I actually I think they may have been quoting an over Robert's post but so um you all have balls in the air lots of at the same time and Some of them have spikes and some of them don't. And (laughs) the key is knowing which ones you're allowed to drop. Um, Mm. And the other, so figuring out which things you cannot afford to miss uh, Mm -hmm. and which things you can go, well, you know, it's not that bad if the house is not immaculate every day. right? right? Or it's not that bad if I watch one fewer episode of that TV series, I can catch up with it later. I've heard the advice about writing like a set amount of time every day. And I, I only do that when I'm first drafting, when I'm first drafting, what I try to do is not so much a set amount of time, but check in with the manuscript every day, go like, okay, I've stared at my manuscript. I have written three sentences at least, right? <laughs> if not more words. Yeah. Uh, and then I can go like, and the thing about writing three sentences, which is uh, something uh, Marie Robinette uh taught me, which is you'll generally write more than three sentences.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay, let's unpack that. What, what do you, what, so, so the device is to write three sentences because at some point because the muse takes over and, and away you Three sentences
1: is easy. Anybody can do three sentences. But by the time you have written the third sentence, you'll be back with the book and mm-hmm. you'll generally want to keep writing more sentences.
0: Right? I like that. Yeah. I like and once, that. Yeah. Okay, and then keep going. once
1: sorry. Yeah, sorry. And then once I have, when I'm not, producing a first draft, there will be entire days when I'm not writing at all, right? Where I go like, okay, time to just chill and yeah. just come to like the subconscious, just like, you know, recharge, get the sleep, get whatever it is that I wasn't doing when I was doing the first draft.
0: Yeah. I. How how much do you think, um, what what you said, I, I love how um, clear and it's very tactical. Like I, I, I like... I like when there's like uh, dichotomy choices, especially with writing. I think it helps a lot to be like, do I want to watch another show or do I want to write for an hour? Uh, yeah, do but, I want and to and, let the and, house And go? I want to
1: emphasize that sometimes the, the answer is, I want to watch another show. 100%. I'm tired oh, 100%. And I can't do anything else, right? It's not, it's not I'm right. putting a judgment value on it. It's like, Okay.
0: I, I totally agree. Maybe
1: you maybe you don't want it as much as you want to write, right? Right. And and I reassure you, the same thing goes on with the laundry, the you know, <laughs> washing up that's piling up in the sink. It's like maybe I could do all of that a bit later, right? It doesn't need to be done right now. Maybe I could yeah. defer it by forty minutes.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that because I think sometimes um, those those moments, it's not necessarily that there's a right or wrong choice in there. It's not as if it's like you should never watch that show or you should always do the housework or, or vice versa, or you should always write and let everything else go by the wayside. That's not at all the point. I think the intentionality of being like, how do I want to spend this block of time, um, Mm -hmm. is such a powerful tool for people because it at least is bringing a choice to it. You know what I mean? You're at least making an active decision of how you want to spend, you know, this, this Mm kind of like brief time. I love that. So, um, one of the things you're really well known for and, um, all the reviews on your books and, you know, if you kind of like, like just dive into all the work you've done, you're, you're, you have such a good reputation for world building. And it's a really interesting thing that's come up a couple times in the past podcasts, and it really never came up before that, which is crazy. Um, and so as you think about world building, as you think about how you approach world, world building, do you have like a set process? Is Is there a way that you build new worlds? How does that look for you?
1: Well, generally what I will have is a brilliant idea. Um, the brilliant mm-hmm. being put into quotes because it's mostly like I have this idea <laughs> that I'm feeling very enthusiastic about. It may be brilliant or it may be trash. We don't really care because that's the seed, right? Um, yeah. And it may actually not stay once I've finished brainstorming. By the, by the time that we're done, right, it may either be completely recognizable or it may actually be um, still there, right? So for mm-hmm. instance, for Fireheart Tiger, what I had was, uh, I had this image of a young woman who had survived a palace fire when she was young and living elsewhere and who comes back and things just start catching fire around her randomly. I was like, hmm, okay, I can do that, right? And, and I had this weird idea. So this is the part that didn't stay. Whereas at this kind of really weird idea that it was going to be linked with the fact that she hadn't grown up since the fire and that she's kind of remained frozen in time. Uh, mm-hmm. To the time when the fire happened, because we're ch- right, um, and so then I thought, okay, so I have this now. Where is this happening exactly? What kind of background do I have this happening against, right? And by background, I don't just mean visuals and mm-hmm. geography, but also what kind of culture are we dealing with, and what is important for that culture? What does that culture value? Uh, how does my how is my character placed? In regards to what that culture values, how are they placed with regards to what the family values? So, in this case, I was like, okay, so in order to have been sent abroad in a sort of, I, I had this idea that was going to be a kind of 19th, 18th century ish mm-hmm. kind of setting because I wanted to write a kind of epic fantasy, right? Except shorter. Um, and I was like, if you want to, if you're sent abroad during that time period, it means your family is very wealthy and very powerful. So, Okay, she's a princess and she's been sent about as a hostage. Okay, so first off, somebody's in a position to demand hostages of someone else, which means there's some kind of power imbalance going on. And so I had to look at a bunch of what I generally do at that stage is go looking for historical parallels. So the time period, first off, because like everything, I mean, not everything, everything, but a lot of things have happened somewhere on the globe. Yeah, right. And it's, good, <laughs> and it's good to know. Yeah. where right. they might have happened for inspiration. And the other thing is that I've got a lot of set ideas because like, I'm a you know 21st century French writer who lives in France and who's half Vietnamese. And I've got lots yeah. of very set ideas on like how this could have played out. Uh, I kind of need to look beyond these and to mm-hmm. how things which may not quite gel with my perceptions or my prejudices may have happened. So in that case, what I was looking at was the history of... Um, Uh, the early history of Vietnam pre-colonization and with that time when France was actually helping Vietnam maintain its throne. Uh, So I came up with the idea that she'd been sent to this country as a hostage while uh, the country lent its assistance to uh, her mother, right? So as a sort of good behavior price slash civilization, civilizing Mm -hmm. uh, thing, she'd been sent to the country. Then six years had elapsed and everybody had agreed that she was kind of useless, uh, and so they sent her back. Uh, so obviously, that a tells you a lot about what kind of values are at play on either side, but yeah. also what how the character themselves would be right, not yeah. in the right place mentally.
0: Yeah. So, um, so so when you're doing this, are you are you going like if this then that if this then that and kind no, of walking yeah. your way into like a sequence of of events, or is it kind of like? here's this smattering and I'm going to kind of almost like connect dots in a way, uh, does that make sense?
1: A little, a little bit of both. What I will generally okay. is I will throw something and then pull the entire sequence until I ran out of ideas. So in this particular case, I got to, okay, so she came back and she's not valued. Okay, I don't know what to do with this information right now, so I'm just going to pin it and, okay, this is the end of that particular chain of thoughts. What other chains of thought do we have? Fire, the fire's following her. Why is the fire following her? What is the fire, right? And and I pulled that one until I got to okay well this is why the fire is following her around this is the part the part that the fire is going to play and in this particular case the the title of the novel Fireheart Tiger is a reference to a Vietnamese legend that links tigers with fire so I was like okay there's going to be some kind of tiger slash fire following her around and being kind of a little scary because that's what tigers are
0: oh, okay I love it I love it
1: so and then so and then I come back and I splatter something else right um, and so I get to a sort of those little strings that don't quite connect, uh, that I'm staring at and going like, okay. And at some point, I'm being deliberately vague because it's mostly, a, I look at it and I go like, okay, I think I've got enough material now, right? Uh, which I mostly do by habit. Yeah. Um, and I will go like, okay, I, I know who, I know what, I know what they're dealing with, kind of what they want, kind of what they need, which is not at all what they want generally, because otherwise, you know, where's the fun. Right, um, right. And I kind of I kind of have a vague idea of like the beginnings of the plot. So now it's time to actually do the plot. What is going to happen?
0: Okay. So all of this information in the world, are, are you organizing it somewhere? Like, where does all this happen? Is it just sitting in your head and kind in of cooking? <laughs> kind of like, no, like swirling and cooking it, and yeah.
1: It, yeah, it, it really depends. Uh, if it's too big, I will write it down. Yeah. Uh, but for a novel, like for a, a very slim book, I don't actually write it down. Uh, for the Dominion of the Fallen books, I had uh, I had a Bible, which you, was a, you, you
0: did like the the whole world building Bible to.
1: Yeah, the whole like these are the different magical factions. These yeah, are right, right. among the factions. These are the main characters and blah and blah and blah and blah and blah. And, yeah. and even yeah. like that, I still managed to you know double. I had like a. I had an archivist in one of the main magical factions that turned out to have the same name as the, the archivist in the other faction. My <laughs> copy editor very kindly. Aliyah, did they move jobs? Me. Nah, oh, they didn't.
0: <laughs> Be right yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what I was asking that. Cause uh, and I and I want to make a note before before I move on to the next question. I love that you go at a certain point to history because I do <laughs> think there's just so much richness and variety. Um, and, and almost like stuff you can't make up, like, like sometimes history is just so bonkers and bizarre about how it shakes out and how things happen that, um, you can certainly pull incredible inspiration, um, from that. So I, I love that there's a point that you do that. So, um, so then I, at, at a certain point, you feel like you've got the, the world and it sounds like the, the, the character, like who the person is, at least in some sense of it, and then all from there char- once you kind of yeah, have all,
1: ca- all characters like you know, characters F- yeah yeah Fireheart like Tag, tiger was a really slim book so i did not really have space for more than a few characters but like yeah. with, with a book like say dominion of the fallen i had like three or four different yeah. main characters and i kind of needed an idea of who they were before i started the plotting
0: okay. because it
1: was it's just too vague
0: and then do you go through a similar process if you're like okay now we're going to start putting the bones in the you know the soul and the the texture of a character Uh, so so it's
1: a sort so it's a sort of mixed process where um so i know that on some level i need to have a structure where about uh one for one fourth of the way through about things come to a first head then two thirds to three fourths of the way things come to another head and then the action sorts of rises until we or the emotional intensity or something rises until we hit the climax. Um, And so so what I will do is I will throw things like, here are my ideas for scenes. Here are my ideas for plot points. uh, And then I will start, um, either I find something that looks immediately like it would be one of those major points, right? But very often what really happens is I I get little bits of plot line. And as I put them together, I go like, oh, everything could actually converge here, right? Uh, and then I have the first, the first uh, impact. And at that point I will go like, okay, what if I pull it a little further? Uh, And then when I hit the, when I hit the three fourth mark, what I will do is it gets very fragmentary. It'd be like, I kind of know how it's going to end, but there's no point in putting too much detail because it's too far out. And the book has got a lot of time to
0: change by then. I feel the same way. Like, I I feel like, you know, getting through like the, you know, and and there's all these, you know, plot terms that, that you can throw at it, but like, getting to like the inciting incident and a couple of like those big major like events that are happening in the plot seem to be before I start a project, I can kind of see it. I'm like, okay, I can get this far, but that the back quarter of the book or third of the book, it just seems like I can never, I don't know what it is until I get there and maybe that's, you know, just, Part of the magic, just for me as a writer, I mean, like, there's no again, there's no right rated right, right, yeah. Right I, I, to I feel, it, but, yeah, yeah, I feel
1: to me that's where all the plot lines and all the themes come to rest. And for me, it's really hard to think of the theme until I've actually finished writing the yeah. first yeah. three quarters of the book. And so, what happened with the last Dominion of the Fallen book, The, uh, the House of Sundering Flames, is that I literally got to that 75% mark, and I was like, that does not work. The thing that I had at the back of the book that said the book will end that way? Nope. And it had one major character choosing, like, returning to where she'd come from and doing something where she'd come from. And I was like, first off, she can't physically where she'd come from. She'd have to, like, literally, like, walk through fire. That's not (laughs) possible. And second off, it doesn't make a whole lot of thematic sense because that character has that character's entire plotline has been trying to get home. So the moment that she does get home, even if you know everything else is on fire and there's danger, it doesn't really matter because thematically that's going to be like a big unknotting of, I am safe now, right? Yeah. And tension is gonna go down like a souffle. So I'm like, that is <laughs> not working. So she gets trapped. Okay, so that other thing cannot happen. That other thing cannot happen, shit. And so I ended up replotting the last fourth of going like, okay, This is what we have currently. And I drew this little map of Paris, right? It's set in an alternate 19th century Paris. And I was like, so one group of characters here, one group of characters here, one group of characters here. There's a fire here. Okay. (laughs) Hmm. Well, that sounds like an interesting geometry problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like I want to memorialize. The plot's going to... But the tension's gonna fall like a souffle. Like, I feel like that's like, like you saying that, I was like, man, that's the best analogy I've ever heard. Um, that, all that, I, I just, I, I love the intentionality and just like the, the process that you bring to, to creating worlds and creating characters. Um, being somebody who comes from an engineering background and training, which in some ways uses kind of a different type of process, a different kind of thinking than uh, novel writing, um, how do you think being a trained engineer and using, you know, your brain in that capacity, how do you think that has influenced you as a novel writer I don't
1: think or, I or, not... or
0: storyteller, I should say, yeah. not, not novel writer, just storyteller. Well, I mean, yeah.
1: Faking the science in the science fiction is really nice. <laughs> um, right,
0: right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah.
1: From a practical point of view. Uh, I feel like, uh, like one of the most visible effects is that I will, um, I go from the principle that you can fix a lot of things in the early stages with very little work, and then if you want to do like major modifications at the later st- stages, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. Um, right. So, insofar as possible, I try to have important things about the characters in the plot down first, right? So that's mm-hmm. why I tend to have a very detailed outline. Even if I like, if I diverge too far from the outline, what I will actually do is sit down and redo the outline rather than just continue freestyle. Um, improvising as I go because I'm, I feel like I'm not comfortable enough doing that. Uh, and I also feel like, you know, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, part of my process means that I'm just worried that um, I'll be stuck, you know, two chapters down the line, and then it's going to be really, really a mess to sort out. Yeah. So I think that's, that's about as far as engineering gets me in terms of, okay, Like, you know, the top of the V-cycle is very easy to fix. And the lower (laughs) down you get down the V-cycle, the more expensive it is. So try not to do any hard, really large modifications at the bottom of the V-cycle, please.
0: Yeah, I'm always interested in, um, you know, taking lessons from uh, practices and fields that have very set and very specific processes for achieving a result. Um, you know, and so I I come from the tech space and I spent, you know, 12 years in enterprise technology. And, you know, having done so many projects in that space, one of the things that we learned really quickly is that when we had a specific process to get projects done, regardless of the project, we had a much better chance of getting it done and getting it done. It was never on time, but closer to being on time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I'm always interested in how writers who have, um, you know, engineering or, kind of that like technical background, use the lessons that maybe they learn kind of in this novel writing process, which can feel incredibly abstract. I think one of the things that, that really derails people is just how open-ended and vast it can be to write a story. There's not a lot of rules and there's generally not like do this, 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 this in a, in a processed way. Um, so it's just like kind of an interesting thought, you know, of like, of, like how those things... Hmm. I don't know, well, I kind
1: of know. Uh, so I kind of feel like there's um, I don't know, uh, so I don't really know what the term in English is. What is uh, in in French we call that the retour d'expérience? So the kind of feedback, I guess, the feedback se- sessions, right? Of like, yeah. okay, so this is how the whole thing worked out. And I think to some extent that's what's happening with my books. in so not in a, not in a you know not as detailed a way as a formal feedback session, but uh, oh well, that's that's worth noting, right? Uh, yeah. When I read this book, this happened, right? And then, is this a one-off or that that happen consistently? And and also, obviously, you know, writing process is not fixed, and to some extent, mm-hmm. it really like it's you know specific to the book uh, yeah. that I'm writing sometimes. So I'm also not getting too rigid or too hung on it, but I'm like, but you can. Um, get a few you know general guidelines or a few uh, at least for me i can get a few trends right Mm -hmm. of you know the main one of which is however long however long it is going to be it's going to end up longer so (laughs) please take that into account when you're writing for the word (laughs) count that'd be helpful
0: yeah 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 i i think for me with the and and you you um you saying what, what you kind of the point you just made kind of unlocked a thought in my head, which was in some ways, it seems to be, um, by coming at the writing life as, as it being full of clues and heavily dependent on process to produce a good result, um, that it takes some of the magic that I feel like sometimes we think writers sit down and they just, you know, pour rainbows and butterflies onto the page (laughs) And then their first draft is perfect <laughs> and, and it just goes straight to publication. Everyone who reads it loves it. And, um, and, and maybe, and maybe by coming at it and being like, what worked well, what didn't work well, is this an easy way for me to work? Is this a, is this a more challenging for way for me to work? Um, do I feel better about my work? You know, all kind of asking those um, hmm. feedback questions, I think, I think sometimes has a, a huge benefit to writers instead of, I don't want to say winging it because it's fine to wing it, but I think um, hoping hoping for change without maybe critically analyzing mm. your practice. Does that well, make
1: sense? I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel to me, it's a sort of being part of, you know, I think I used to get very hung up on the, you know, it's got to work the first time that I right. put it down on paper. And now I'm like, actually, you know what? I know that I can put down the first draft on paper and then I can fix it. And that's what really matters is that I'm capable of fixing it because I have done this before and I know how to do this, right? And there's something oh, very, very comforting, I guess, in the sort of, I have this. I may not feel like I'm having this at the moment, which is a whole, you know, I think one of the most important lessons I learned as a writer was that there is absolutely no correlation between the quality of what I'm writing and how I feel about it.
0: Absolutely <laughs> not. Zero. <laughs> oh, I love that, yeah. Yeah. Two of the things you just said are just so powerful. There's no correlation between how I feel about it and the quality of writing. That's enormous. That's enormous. And then having a confidence that you can fix it, you know, that, that it's, it's more important to be able to fix it because, Mm. um, you know, we're never, I, I don't know, at least, at least for me, sometimes I go back and I read my first drafts and I'm like, dear God, Brian, like, like that, there's a lot of problems here, but I think like you, I'm like, oh, but but I can work on this, I can edit it, I can I can rewrite it, I can, I can re it and get it to somewhere that maybe I feel better. Yeah,
1: about it. And, yeah, yeah and, to, and to me, there's a very specific kind of I I want to say it's almost like magic, right? Which is I remember I remember very distinctly. I think it was um I think it was Seven of Infinities, the, the novella that I had that came out in October, where um like writing the last bit of it felt like pulling teeth, the first draft. I was writing on yeah. a train and I was just like going like Gotta get through it. Gotta get through it. Gotta get through. Um, and and the moment I put the end, right, the sucky, sucky, and full of holes like a colander, right? Yeah. I was like, this has a whole different energy to it. They're exactly the same words, right? I just like typed the end at the end, uh, like the end on the very last line, and I know that I've finished the draft, and I know that it's full of holes and it's got the exact same holes that I did ten minutes ago, but it's different now because I'm able to go like, okay. It is done. My job as you know, the writer of the first draft is done. I can now put my you know revisions hat on and go like, okay, different skill set now. What can I do to fix this?
0: Yeah, um,
1: and, and it's and I, I mean, to me, I find it fascinating because I'm like, there's nothing different from ten yeah. minutes ago, and yet, right. and yet,
0: yeah. What one of the things we talk about in um, you know some of the writing curriculum we have is how as writers, we have different personas. And I've done a podcast on this as well. We, we use like different identities in some way. And so, you know, when we started this podcast, we we're talking about this identity that's almost like an architect and in doing a lot of the kind of heavy, you know, brain work of like, what is this? And what are the bones of this? And what's the structure of this? And what are the rules? You know, like, what are the rules I'm setting for the story? Who are the characters who go into it? And then you have, you know, the, these other personas, these other, you know, personalities, you have this creator who writes the first draft, and then you have this editor that um, edits the draft, and you have a reader who polishes the draft. And I think in some ways, um, you know, having the, the, the energy shift from that creator, which can be a really difficult spot for some people to get through, to actually get that first draft done into that mm-hmm. editor, like there is, I think, I think there's a different energy in that, like there is a different field to that. Yeah, um, I think it's yeah different skill set.
1: A, yeah, there's a different energy. And I think you were asking earlier about like how you know how I was managing to juggle everything and how to yeah. make everything work. And I worked out shortly after I had my first that uh, um, actually almost everything could be parceled out into smaller increments. Revisions could be done in like 10 or 15 minute sessions, wow, but what yeah. it couldn't be was first drafting for me. Yeah. So I really yeah. need to be in the zone and I really needed to be in the zone for an uninterrupted amount of time, which was a few hours. So the, the first drafts to me were the more difficult, hours the most difficult to write because when you're, especially when, you know, you're working, you're working and you're your parents, finding like an extra three hours of an uninterrupted time in your day is like mission right. impossible right. on might fire. as well
0: go to the moon. Yeah. You might as well go to the moon. It's like, exactly. Sure. Yeah. I'll also learn to fly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. All of this. Yeah. I, I find this to just be like, um, kind of exactly in line of like what the, this, this podcast is trying to accomplish. It's like really tactical, tangible ways that as writers, we can learn from the people who are further down the path and kind of like assimilate some of those ideas. Like sometimes it it takes years to learn one lesson. And I love, you know, that kind of by being inquisitive, we can, um, you know year learn years of lessons you know within a single podcast so i i just i love this conversation and um you know kind of the the shape it's taking so um one last thing i want i want to talk to you before we get into our final five questions is just your your journey to being a storyteller so like at, at what point did you realize like i i want to be able to tell stories and and i want to write them and i i want people to read them like when did this mm-hmm. whole thing start for you
1: Well, I mean, on some level, when I was 12 and I drew an illustrated like Cat Emperor of Space book, um, (laughs) which showed to me a couple of things. Writing was fun. Drawing was not. So comics (laughs) were out. Uh, At least comics as an illustrator were out, right? Um, I think on some level, though, to be a little more serious about it is uh, when I was a teenager, um, I I mean, I guess I'd always known it on some level, but I suddenly realized that... um, so the French curriculum gives you a really weird perception of who is it that's considered a writer in that namely, they tend to be dead and they tend yeah. to have all lived in the 19th century <laughs> uh, and they tend to be old men.
0: They're all um, men, half marbarian in pantheon, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and they tend to have been as well like figures of significance like polymath or politicians or something. And I was like looking at it and going, not for me. I mean, for starters, I'm alive, right. (laughs) 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 Among the other qualifications that I don't actually meet on that list. Uh, And then I suddenly realized, but hang on, there are actually living people who are writing books, right? That's the thing that people do. I could write a book. So I wrote a book and it was terrible. Um, (laughs) I mean, I wrote wrote half a, a third of a book and it was terrible. And we moved from London to Paris and, um, the computer that we had didn't start up again. So I learned a very important lesson. Always have a backup somewhere. Oh, because uh, I don't know what that manuscript is. It's like lost forever. Yeah. It wasn't very good. So, you know, nothing lost. I wrote two very bad novels, which I still have, but they're still very bad. Right. Uh, might as well get that out of my system. And then I figured, you know what? It would be easier with short stories. It's a terrible idea, by the way. I really do not recommend it because it's like super different to be writing short stories. And yeah. novels.
0: Right. Uh, it's, it's hard to get them thing- published, right?
1: Yeah, different path, all yeah. different. Yeah. But the yeah. main thing that enabled me to do though was that um, it's easier to find readers for short stories. So I could more easily find someone and ask them, do you want to read 20 pages of my writing? Mm. And mm. they could mm. make me comments and I could take these on board, right? Um, when when I switched, so I sold my first short stories and then and then I decided that, you know, what I was really wanted to do was write a book because you know the things that I was enjoying the most reading were novels. Um, it still don't help me write a novel, but at least, but at least the, some of the basic elements of crafts have gotten a little better. Um, and that's kind of how I got started on the whole yeah. thing. Uh, then I sold my first novel and then, you know, things just started happening from there.
0: Oh man. I love, I, I always love the, the origin stories, you know, some people like some people like you, they were very young. When um, they start to realize that they want to tell stories and then other people, you know, they're later in life and, and it's, it's just always such a good,
1: yeah, no, I, just... I love
0: the tapestry of it. Like I just, yeah. it, it's just such a beautiful. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, now I love our conversation and I would like it to continue, but uh, right now's the time when I get to ask you our final five questions. So these final five questions are the same questions I asked every single guest. And the reason I do it is, Firstly, I love the answers, but I also, I love how it highlights the diversity of answers. So everyone answers these differently. And to me, what one of the things that shows is that there's no one right way to tell your story. There's no one right way to, to compose. There's no one right to, way to edit. What's most important in this game is to find out how you write, how you need to get your story onto the page. And I think hearing how every single one of these beautiful, amazing, you know, authors that I interview gives different answers. It just keeps reinforcing that point. So that said, I'm going to dive into our final five questions. And the first question is, I love this question. First question is, what is the one word that best describes you?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Detail oriented.
0: Detail oriented. Mm, I love that. Okay, uh, question number two. If you had to pick a spirit book, right? So this is a book that like if you died and you were reincarnated as a book, it'd be this book. Uh, what book would it be?
1: Uh, I think it'd be Alexandra Dumas, Count of Monte Cristo, oh. which is a book I reread every few years just because I love it so much. It's, and it's so good. It's got this whole gothic revenge vibe, but also this this is this beautiful glittering decadent society that has so many secrets that are going to tear it apart. And it's also asking a number of questions about, you know, how the next generation deals with the guilt of the previous generation and, and, and revenge and disguises. And "Eh, I really like it.
0: And and grace and forgiveness and potential of who we are. Ah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's, uh, Le Miz is one of my favorite books of all time. And Count of Monte Cristo is like a close follow on that list. They're just two interesting. They're both French authors, but still, um, yeah, just two, I think, just beautiful stories. Ugh, I'm so happy you said that. Okay. Um, question number, let me pull it up here. Question number three, is there a specific tool? Because so it can be anything at all. Um, pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, whatever. Is there a specific tool that you must have to write?
1: good tea
0: good tea and yeah. what's your go-to i'd love to know
1: uh, f- uh it really depends on the mood but uh, what i generally really like is like some of the really uh grassy um sea seaweed uh japanese teas so mm. like the the kabusecha, for instance um
0: okay. never had it. i'll have to look it up um Awesome. Okay. Question number four. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life?
1: Uh, Mostly by trying not to think about it. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, and also trying to work out, you know, um, mostly trying to play the long game and going like, well, you know, it's, I didn't get into this career path because I thought it was going to be stable and, you know, all ups. So this is the way it goes.
0: Right. Yeah, just, so it's just kind of like just taking it and striving. Yeah. yeah, also
1: more tea. Also, also what? More tea. That more
0: tea, is- oh yeah, yeah, more tea, totally. Uh, okay, question number four, or question number five, I'm sorry, our last question. If you could give one piece of advice to writers out there, what would it be?
1: Um, well, a lot of what gets going to, I mean, especially when you're starting out, I think a lot of it is you get a lot of absolutes being presented as rules, and I think it's really interesting to ask yourself where they come from.
0: Yeah. Which
1: doesn't mean setting everything on fire, because generally there are also good reasons why there are rules. Some of them, at any rate. Uh, but I think it's it's a good exercise to go like, okay, I understand why this rule is in place, and then I can choose or not to respect it, knowing the cost of breaking it. Right? If right. there is a cost, but well, I think it's a. Uh, you know a sort of critical spirit i guess is the the main thing that i would say is that you don't you know it's like that old star wars thing only a sith deals in absolutes so i think it's a very dangerous mindset to yeah. have any greater
0: i love that you just quoted star wars it's like it's my favorite star wars series is also ever
1: very foundational, so far as i'm concerned
0: <laughs> What? wait 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 what What was that what did you say
1: oh star wars is a very foundational kind of thing for me um yes I watched the return of the Jedi when I was 10 and then I got sort of obsessed.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. We are two peas in a pod on that one. I, I always use star Wars, like every single like course class, like all the stuff that I teach, it's always like, what is Luke in this? You, like, I'm always I, it's the yeah, same way. I, I could talk star Wars for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, Okay. Last, last question. How can people find you? Like, where are you online? Um, uh, so i getting to contact and learn more about you.
1: Yes, so I have, um, sorry, um, that's my phone. That's um, all
0: right.
1: Um, so um, I have a Twitter, uh, aliaddb.com, which is where I'm most active on a day-to-day basis. If you really want to learn more about my book, your best bet is my website at aliatdboudard.com. Okay. Uh, and then I have a newsletter, which is on Substack at aliatdboudard which is where you have the new releases, the occasional recipe and my musings on tea and fountain pens and a bunch of other things.
0: No, I love it. I love it. Well, um, Elliot, thank you so, so much for your time. This has been such a, um, a fun podcast. I love one of the things I just, I want to highlight and call out is I just love the intentionality you bring to the writing process. And, um, crit you know, critical, but not not in a negative way. Just just critical as in just just looking at it as being kind of this ever morphing moving thing that, that you're engaged with and that, you know, there's ways to influence it and there's things you can influence. But um I, I just have so enjoyed being able to connect with you and kind of kind of dive into the way you put stories on the page. So thank you so much for your time. This has been such a pleasure for me.
1: Well, thank you. It was a great and fun interview. <laughs> thank you.
0: I want to say thank you to Elliot one more time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. It means a lot to me. Also, I am on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, all sorts of places, so connect with me online. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.